The destination of this train is North Station. Welcome everybody to the first real edition, I guess, of North Station Hoops. Uh, I'm your host, Nate Georgie, and I'm joined alongside, as always, Scott Levine. Scott, what's up, man? How are we doing? I know we're having, I don't want to start with weather, but the weather in New England has been impeccable this last few days. So how are we doing? Yeah, that really affects my line of work. For those who might not know, I uh, work at a run specialty store, and I quite like it, you know. Gives me a solid day job. I get to go home and watch basketball and write about it. But everybody has just realized that their old running shoes are trashed um, because they tried to run with this nice weather. And so it was flooded today with uh, customers. And we, we got through it. And um, now I just get to talk Celtics. So things are looking up. Yeah. So uh, not just Celtics. We're going to be talking about the Celtic. Um, this episode... It's fully 100% dedicated to Jason Tatum. Um, As you can probably tell by the episode title, I don't know what I'm titling it yet, but his name is probably included. So, I mean, this episode is going to be every little micro detail, every team aspect of him, every skills, strengths. We're going to go through all of it. We're going to go through, you know, we're going to probably some harsh takes. I think me and Scott are a little lower on Tatum than consensus Celtics fans, but, uh, Scott, let's get the ball rolling here. What do you want? I know you had an idea of where, how you want to start this. Yeah, I uh, kind of realized I was a little lower on Tatum than the average Celtics fan when I wrote my article, um, which is called, fuck, what did I title it? Building the Ideal, <laughs> By building, <laughs> building the ideal Jason Tatum-led offense, offense on Premium Hoops. Uh, please check it out because we'll be you know expanding on a lot of concepts found in that article. But I kind of... Maybe some Celtics fans thought I was, you know, overly critical of his pick and roll creation. I was just trying to emphasize that, um, yes, he has become this all NBA, borderline all NBA, I should say, caliber player. But there are some still serious questions about whether he can buoy a, you know, top five, whatever, however good an offense you need to win an NBA championship. Is he going to, you know, soak up the usage like James Harden or, you know, Steph Curry or whomever and lead your team to a championship. I think that's still a fair question, but I've certainly become much higher on Tatum and have bought into him being a number one guy on a championship team. It's just going to, you're going to have to get a little creative, right? You can't just spam pick and rolls um, and just let him take you home. You're going to have to get him a little bit more involved off ball. You're going to need a multi-pronged attack with the other creators on the floor. So there is a way, um, and we'll get into a little bit more of the minutia of his detail. But, Nate, I want to ask you, how has your perception of Jason Tatum changed over the years? Because we were just saying, like, you know, before this started, I think uh, even though we're maybe lower on him than the average Celtics fan, we're still, like, super high on him, especially compared to, like, you know, maybe two years ago when that leap that we saw in early 2020 hadn't quite happened yet. Yeah, well, to start his career, I mean, well, his rookie year, he came in to a – it was a it was a weird situation. It was Kyrie's first year in Boston. It was uh, – Al Horford was here. Gordon – it was Gordon Hayward uh, healthy. He hadn't yet snapped his leg. 
Um, and Jalen Brown was in his second year, and, you know, they had Terry Rozier. They had all these guys. He was the starter. He started throughout the whole season, but his rookie year, he was more or less a spot-up player. He was rarely isolated, never ran pick and roll back then. Uh, he, he posted up. He was a spot-up guy. He was a slasher. Um, and I have some numbers here to reference it throughout his career where he's, you know, where he's trending. I mean, 66% of his makes in his rookie year were came on assists. Yeah, you compare that to his – to right now, 36% of his shots are assisted compared to 66% of his rookie year. So he had that crazy rookie year, right? Expectations were crazy high for him. Everyone was like – just all over this guy. He was third in rookie of the year. I think Simmons, that was the year Simmons won, even though he wasn't a rookie. And then there was Mitchell and Tatum. And people were just super high on Tatum. They're like, look at this wing. He can shoot. He's playing defense. He's in a pretty good team, and he's doing this. And then the expectations went through the fucking roof when they made the Eastern Conference Finals, pushed Cleveland to game seven. He posters LeBron, all that. And then it was just like, all right, next year this kid's going to be, you know, this team, wow. Uh, sophomore season comes around. Yeah, I mean, I'll just put it bluntly. Like, it was extremely disappointing for Celtics fans, for Tatum fans, probably most fans around the league. Um, he His scoring barely jumped. His efficiency plummeted. He started to do a little bit more of what you see today, but he was still more or less their, you know, third option. Uh, or it was Kyrie and then, you know, take your turn between Tatum, Brown, Horford, Hayward. Uh, there was a lot of mouths to feed on that team. But you jumped to last year. The second half of the season. Listen, first half of the season, he was he was good. His scoring went up. His efficiency status about the same. And if you can raise your scoring and your efficiency stays the same, that's fine. You're doing something right. Second half of the season rolls around, as you mentioned, and he just absolutely blew up up until the hiatus, which completely changed my perception of him. And I know you're going to talk about how that completely switched how you thought of him. You know, he was starting to become a more ball-dominant guy, heavy pick-and-roll, heavy isos. Um, still did his little post-ups, but he was just a heavy ball-dominant guy. And he, I mean, we'll talk about why, how that happened and why that happened, but that's when my expectations of him switched. And I was like, okay, maybe this guy can be, you know, because he jumped into all – he made All-NBA third team last year, basically because of that run. Um, but I'll let you take it from here and, like, you know, how your expectations changed when that hot stretch happened. So I definitely elevated him to, to like, a, you know – a Bonafide all-star, whereas I might not have said that based on the first half of his season or how, however long it was before he took off. Um, part of me was still a little skeptical just because, especially in the beginning of that hot stretch, he was just a lot of it was just him making 40% of his off-the-dribble threes. Mm -hmm. And I, don't, I know Paul George gets too much hate. You know, he's really improved as a passer. But we've kind of seen that if he's running your offense, guys like that who don't necessarily have that advanced read making of a James Harden, et cetera, like the guys I mentioned, we've seen that a lot of them are very dependent on that off the dribble shot to go in. And 40%, even if you're Dame Lillard, is on the high side. Uh, it was kind of unprecedented for a big wing in his third year to be making 40% of his off the dribble threes. So um, while I was definitely enthused by his breakout, I was like, how much of this is going to stay? You know, if he shoots 35% from three, 33, you know, more like his peers. Uh, is the whole proposition of Jason Tatum, all-star, all-NBA caliber guy, 
for not. And where he kind of surprised me a little bit was, and you wrote about this, Nate, was his passing, um, especially at the point of the screen. He's really learned how to detect weak side rotation and make the skip passes required of a heavy pick and roll point guard, or in his case, point forward. Um, And so there's still some flaws that I mentioned in my article with his handle and maybe his passing when surrounded by the trees in the paint. But all of a sudden, when you combine the shooting, which hasn't really gotten worse, you know, he's kind of had a slump a little bit post COVID, but it's still very much there. And you talk about that passing at the level of the screen. Suddenly you have a guy who I really have a lot of faith in as kind of maybe not a, like I said, a hardened level pick and roll player who does it 15 times, 20 times a game, but you know, maybe half that and you can bank on getting good possessions from those eight or nine pick and rolls you run from Tatum. I'm still not a guy who's like, I'm sure you agree. I'm not like, okay, give this guy 30 pick and rolls a game. Let him Luca, let him Harden, Steph, Dame, whatever. I'm not there. I don't think he's that level of a passer at all, obviously. Um, but that's where – that's the second part of what happened last year. He – the passing – when he had that crazy hot stretch where he was shooting, you know, all these sidesteps, step back, threes, just ridiculous. Once the hiatus happened, they came back, and his shots weren't falling that well. And what he did was just fuck around and become, like, this incredible perimeter passer, which I had no idea he had in him. He started because, because you know, teams had all that time off. They came back. They had all this time to prepare, and they were like, okay, Tatum's a superstar now. Every single time he gets a screen, we are trapping. We are not letting him step into that step-up three that he loves. They started doubling him. They started trapping him, and he had to get the ball out of his hands quicker. Sometimes he evaded it and made some nice reads out of it, but he realized, okay, I can't score 30 a game, 35 a game, if I can't pass the ball because teams are just going to sit on my shot. So he had to punish defenses passing, which started opening up his offense a little bit. Um, but if you want to get into the nuts and bolts here about his passing, I'm I'm fine with that. I guess we kind of hit a lot of it. But this season, I would argue he took a slight step forward again. Um, I 100% agree with you, and I love that you put that in your piece. I, I kind of noticed it as well. He's a great perimeter passer when he's on the perimeter. But as soon as he gets downhill and gets going into the rim, his – He's, I've, I don't think I've ever seen him make a kickout pass. Like, he doesn't – he does not drive by a guy and kick it out. That's just not – I don't know. And I think a lot of it has to do with what we talked about, his handle. Like, when he gets downhill and he's in those tight spots, this will throw us – we'll talk about his handle here as well. But he doesn't trust it enough. I, I don't trust it enough. And so he kind of just picks up the ball, which leads to a lot of things, which will lead to his finishing weaknesses, which we'll get into. But, yeah, um, you go ahead and jump in. So, yeah, this is the kind of driving to the hoop game is probably the biggest reason why I think you should kind of limit his pick and rolls to, uh, you know, a half or so of what you see from the big heliocentric guys. Um, Like you just alluded to, I think he's just not as confident. Like he's not – basically his wheelhouse is interpreting whether the defense respects and sends help to his off the dribble three or not. Um, basically, that's the kind of fulcrum. That's the pressure point. That's the tug of war in the Tatum pick and roll is, are they going to stop this pull up three? If not, I'll take it. If, if so, find the open guy. Like um, that kind of logical flow is not quite there 
once he gets, you know, downhill into the teeth of the defense. Um, now, I think he actually has had a few kind of uh, drive-in kicks, but oftentimes um, it's not situations where he was kind of Chris Pauling or kind of slowly probing the defense and is, you know, comfortably keeping it away from two, three guys in the paint. It's more when they set him up off a dribble handoff or off a screen and he's charging at the rim, right? He gets downhill. He seems more comfortable dribbling the ball when he can take his long strides and evade people that way. And that makes up for a lot of his most impressive finishes. You talked about how he doesn't have like the best finishing touch in like the floater range that he often finds himself in um, because of that lack of handle. But if he can just like get downhill and find a lane and finish all the way to the rim, uh, he has some nice extendo arm finishes that way. And I think that he is also comfortable passing out of those situations because um, when you have that lane, uh, you know where the defense is coming from, right? You know where the help's coming from. Whereas when you're kind of off the pick and roll and you snake it a little bit and you're kind of stalling in the paint, it's not quite as obvious where the help is going to come from. You have to uh, kind of create that event yourself. Whereas something like a getting do- downhill off a DHO is uh, has been pre-created for Tatum and he just has to make the correct read. Yeah, he, he makes good reads when like you said, when they put him in those positions where he has the easy read where it's the pass is there, the pass isn't there. Um, And he's good at, you know, a lot of the time when he does get downhill, uh, when the big steps up, he is good at those, that drop off pass. Um, Not great at it. I've seen it more recently. Um, And he can kick to the strong corner on his drives. I see that fairly often as well. Um, But yeah, like you said, you don't see him making those reads where he's trying to get the guy to help so he can make that pass. And if that guy does help, and if it's not already on his mind, he kind of misses it. And then, you know, he loses the ball and throws what up, whatever. But so let's talk about more. So if you don't see him as a 30, you know, pick and roll all the time, all the time, I know you talked about it in your article, but we can talk about it here. How, how do we get to the best version of Jason Tatum we can get? How do we put him in positions to succeed? Uh, One thing I'll add about when he gets caught in no man's land off the pick and roll is a lot of this would be uh, alleviated if he had a reliable floater game. And I'm just going to bring up cleaning the glass. And this is like something that I've kind of, you know, been one of my concerns with him is uh, this year he's taking 27% of his shots from short mid range for cleaning the glass to find us between four feet to 14 feet. Which is awesome. It is. It's awesome until you get to how well he's shooting on it. <laughs> yeah, because he's, he's, he's taking – it's about a one-to-one ratio between the rim and floater range, and he's making 38% of his short mid shots, and that's that's been in the high 30s uh, for his entire career. So it's not – you look at guys like Kawhi and Paul George, they're making high 40s, low 50s from that, despite not getting all the way to the rim sometimes. So it's definitely a shot that Nate and I like – when we see a floater going, we're like, holy shit, he's, he's got it now because he'll make some nice ones. But uh, the, over, over the course of the season, it hasn't quite uh, measured up yet. Now, I think all this is why I was skeptical of Tatum because I think we have the tendency with star players to only think about how they can operate in a pick and roll um, because that seems to be the trend for a while is like spam pick and rolls with your offensive superstar. But as Nate alluded to, there are other ways to use Tatum. Um, you have to become a little bit more creative because you can't just give him the ball and send us, give, give him a high screen. 
but there are other ways. And I, I went into them in my article. I talked about how he's, you know, comfortable driving off DHOs off off ball screens. I think, um, that's been something the Celtics have really realized is I think they really have his ratio of on ball slash off ball actions pretty much down to a T. Um, I think maybe they could incorporate plays that have a few more plan C's or plan D's for when the first option is taken away. There's somewhere he like curls around a screen and then, you know, the defense kind of stops it and it leads to a Tatum ISO. Um, it leads maybe... to him dribbling it out. and then I... <laughs> Yeah. And, and maybe that's just, you know, also Tatum not like immediately reversing the ball. Maybe he's still, you know, a little bit too ISO friendly. And then uh, maybe it's also just, you know, getting more dynamic creators around him. I think uh, we both, you know, kind of felt like Hayward would be a little bit, fill, leave a little bit of a void just as a play connector. Uh, we saw that the offense gummed up without Marcus Smart. Um, and then Kemba, I, I have faith that he can, you know, be a solid point guard. I, 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 maybe the all-star days are behind him, but when he was struggling from, you know, three and wherever, pretty much, uh, that also kind of put a dent in the offense. So there's ways to work around it, but um, it just hasn't been quite the high-powered offense that I'd like to see Tatum in uh, for a multitude of reasons that we could probably get into more in a later podcast. Yeah, I I agree with everything you said in that article, and I agree that the Celtics, it does look like they try to not give him so many isos and pick and rolls and try to not give him as many, you know, actions where he's initiating, like, the play. Like, because he, he falls into bad habits a lot where if the first option isn't there, like you said, he kind of just reverts to bad habits and isos or – that's a lot. That's where a lot of his long twos come out of too. Those contested long twos come out of broken down plays, and he just tries to create something and just falls into a bad habit. Um, which I guess we can kind of talk about his shot selection now. I'd, I'd like to talk about because it's improved. I'll say over the years, like when he came in the league, um, per cleaning the glass, or listen, long mids, they're long mids. Okay, if you don't understand the weakness of them at this point, I don't. I don't. I, I can't help you. That's not to say they don't have a spot in the league because they do. But when he came in the league, he shot them 22% of the time. Um, that's down to 16%, up from 13% last year. But 16%, I'm, I'm fine with that, okay? I'm comfortable with him taking that. I love that he's taking 27% of his shots from the short mid. I like, I like and don't like that a quarter of his shots are at the rim right now. Right now, 25%. That number, theoretically, should be higher. But when you factor in how bad he is at the rim, I don't want it higher. I do want him to take more threes, though. I want more percent of – I want those long twos to be more threes. I want him to get downhill more. And I, you know, the recipe for a superstar score is rim, short, mid, and threes. You know, just, it's, it's really that easy um, for shot selection. I know shot selection is probably the easier part. Getting to that said spot is very difficult. You know, going forward – like I said, I want to see more rim attempts. I want him to continue to take this level of short mid shots because they're really high efficient shots. I mean, you look at, like you said, Kawhi and PG. They're great from that area. Um, they take similar amount of threes. And listen, I mean, Paul George is kind of – he's pretty close to Tatum when it comes to I, – I think Paul George is a better rim finisher. But that's not his go-to. You know, he's not that comfortable around there. He doesn't get to the line either. Um, which is a whole other discussion with free throws with Tatum, which we'll get into. But where are you at with his shot selection? Are you, is there something else here big that you want to see that I didn't say? 
So I would push back. I think he's a decent rim finisher. The problem is more that he can't get there consistently, as is the case with Paul George. I think a lot of that is just handle and maybe in Tatum's case, lack of like elite burst. Um, We talked about how his handle kind of clams up when he gets in the paint surrounded by trees. Um, And that's where you see, you know, some of the short mid attempts. While I do think that it's a shot that will ultimately propel him to be like that bona fide number one option on a championship team. It's not there right now. And so there's not really a workaround, right? Cause he doesn't get all the way to the rim. Uh, he doesn't quite get fouled that often, although he is pretty good at uh, foul baiting, um, especially on like pre-shot fouls. He's like mm-hmm. one of the best at drawing pre-shot fouls in the league. And uh, since that floater isn't there, it's the pole problems exacerbated and like, the, the downhill passing isn't quite, you know, it's not quite at the level of the best pick and roll player. So it's all just, it's hard to point to one thing and be like, he needs to do that more. It's all kind of like some of his shot selection is due to his own limitations, like, and the limitations of the team. We talked about like how, you know, Celtics maybe could surround him with a few more high level, high IQ players so that it doesn't get into those ISO situations as often as it does. It's the second most common play type right now behind pick and rolls. Um, And maybe that's just the nature of, you know, off screens different than DHOs or something like that. But it's still, I I quoted it in my article uh, per NBA.com. It's like 17, 18%, which I don't know. It seems like they're using it as more than just like a bailout for when the first few few actions go wrong. It seems like they're kind of leaning really hard into it. So outside of, but but I don't know what to do differently in this current setup and in this current version of Tatum. So I don't really know where to take that question of what he could do differently. I think he's pretty much kind of doing what he can right now. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Like he, a lot of the shots, like you said, a lot of it is his limitations. He can't, he can't get to the room 35% of the time, 40% of the time. He can't, I mean, he does take a lot of short mids, but I just think that floater, it just opens up so much and it's going to make getting to the rim that much easier when that big has to take two more steps up because he loves Euroing and that sounded weird. I said that weird, but he loves Euro stepping um, and he loves using those long strides to get to the rim. Um, and if that guy steps up, it's right there. It's so easy for him. I see it a lot of the time when they do step up. He, he has a nice Euro. He falls to it a lot. He likes it. Um, I think if you can actually start hitting those folders, because the accuracy was, what, 38% from that area, not good. And he's been around that his whole career. Um, I push back on you saying he's a – I think he's a – I think he's a bad room finisher. Uh, you're, you're, you're pushing back to my pushing back. All right. I love yeah. it. Yeah. I just – even when he gets there, the problem is when he gets there – or the way he gets there puts him in – terrible finishing positions. I, I get what you kind of mean by that, where he has decent, like, reverse touch. He's got decent touch, I guess. But he puts himself in the most awkward positions trying to finish. He tries to finish – like, I've said this for a couple of years now. He tries to finish, like, Kyrie, even though he's six foot nine. He tries to do these – he doesn't, like, try to do these crazy up and unders, but he just tries to, you know, put spin on the ball when he doesn't need to. He tries to – a lot of the thing is he tries to just out length people, I guess, if that's a term. Like, he just tries to reach around guys to finish. And that puts you in a really tough, especially if the guy's in front of your face. Like, he can't even see the rim. That's where a lot of his misses come on. He he just, 
I don't know. I guess a big reason why, I mean, we talked about this in your, you didn't reference it in your article, but he has small hands, really small hands for his size, which makes dip finishing a little more difficult as long as dribble, as well as dribbling, which, you know, goes into other stuff. But yeah, I'd push back on that. I think he's a, for his size, I think he's a poor rim finisher. Yeah, and I think a lot of his best finishes come when he has that head of steam, which makes me think he's a finisher. It's kind of weird, right? Because he is best at finishing when he's playing a more dependent role. Uh, when he's orchestrating the offense himself and then gets to the cup, that's what leads to the awkward finishes. When he has the opportunity to like attack a closeout and shoulder into the help defender or you know fly off a DHO and get downhill and shoulder the help defender, um, all of a sudden you see Tatum at his best. So I think it, it comes out to being like an average finisher because he's a very good finisher as a closeout attacker dependent player and a lackluster one if he's being the primary guy and has to get to the rim by himself. I get where you're coming from with that. You want to talk about his handle? Because it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting talking point, which I think is one of the biggest things holding him back right now from being that go-to heliocentric guy or even being just a more efficient not heliocentric guy like the way they're using him now if his handle was better it it would just it it creates so much for him like outside of finishing or probably no handle is probably his biggest weakness it's probably bigger weakness than finishing um when he's at a standstill his handle's fine like he can dance on guys it looks pretty and all that but when he starts getting downhill like we said when he gets into the paint he picks up the ball super early which leads to the poor finishing because he's, you know, losing two long strides, sticking out his arm super far to try to finish. Um, he just picks up the ball really early because mainly his left hand. He has clearly has no confidence in his left hand. His left hand is a pretty weak handle compared to his right. And also a weird thing, he dribbles especially high when he's undergoing, like, casual movements, like if he's bringing the ball up or he's backing out his dribble. Like, just when he's not going downhill – he dribbles it really high, which I feel like is just a bad habit for improving your handle. But his handle, I mean, if that just took a leap forward, it would let him get to the rim. It would let him just get to those spots he wants to get to. He knows he needs to get to much easier. You know, those short mids probably wouldn't look as awkward. Those floaters wouldn't look at as awkward. He wouldn't be picking up the ball so early. He'd be, you know, maybe doing other sort of finishes, like power finishes, hop steps. I've never seen Tatum hop step in my life because he's always – you know, 18 feet away when he picks up his dribble. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of touched upon like how his handle limits him attacking the rim, like maybe a little bit, but another thing I'd mention is uh, you see those high dribbles most often in post-up situations where I think there's some low hanging fruit where he can maybe attack smaller guards, but you know, guys like Shaq Harrison or DeJounte Murray who are giving up a few LBs and, and inches are able to just prevent him from getting in the post. You know, they're able to swipe at those high dribbles and it takes something that should kind of, or I don't want to say should, we're being awfully harsh on him. You know, he's still a very, very good player. Nate and I are just like hoping he'll be, he'll win our team a championship. Um, and that's why we're being so critical. But uh, yeah, there's situations where if he just had that handle, you know, you see like Jokic, for example, part of the reason he's able to, comfortably punish anybody in the post is he's always in control of the ball uh he's going to deter guys who are smaller than him and try to swipe at it um and you just don't quite see that level of poise attacking those uh jitterbug guards 
uh, with Tatum. Yeah, I believe yes, two days ago against Brooklyn, because I rewatched all of Tatum's uh, attempts. He had uh, he had sham it on him three times and opted for a fadeaway off his left shoulder three times. I think two of them fell, so good for him. Uh, but you know, it just kind of gets into the whole the whole issue there. Um, I want to talk a little bit about his free throw drawn rate or the inability to. I think he's improved a bit this year. Um, he's learned how to try to initiate contact. A lot of the time, it it looks bad, like it kind of looks out of control and. He's kind of being known at this point as a uh, a thorn on the ref sides. I think they know that. I think they're sick of him because he he talks to refs a lot. Um, and the only thing in terms of ref baiting, the only thing I've really seen him master is that rip through move in the post, um, where he kind of like starts facing up and stepping through at the same time, and just kind of like swipes it through while stepping through. Um, that's the only like one I've seen him really master. And you can look at – I mean, he's young. It, it's, it takes years to master that stuff, other than, unless you're Trey Young, I guess. But, uh, I mean, you look at Tatum growing. I think this has a lot to do with – he's six foot nine, right? He's been tall his whole life. He's never had to rely on ref baiting to get finishes at the rim or anything like that. He's always, for the most part, been the biggest or, like, second biggest guy out there. He's always been jumping higher than everyone most of his life growing up. He hasn't had to try to learn these things where if you look at guards coming up, like Trey Young, his whole life he's been tiny, all right? He's been try- he's been ref baiting. He's been doing all that his whole lot. Or obviously he wasn't in middle school ref baiting, but you know what I mean? He had a- I, I'd believe it. I'd believe <laughs> that he was. Honestly. But, uh, yeah, Tatum, um, I just I think he's up to about five attempts a game this year. Last year it was like 4.6. Um, it's, it's one of those things where if you combine him not being able to get to the line a ton, if he doesn't learn to become a more efficient rim finisher or short mids, then he kind of has to be shooting 43% on eight threes a game to be an elite, elite scorer. You know what I mean? So one of these things, just if he wants to take that next step, one of these things has to, it has to be free throws. It has to be rim finishing. It has to be floaters. One, if not two of these things have to happen. And I think free throw rate is probably the easiest one to see happen. And uh, I talked about, you know, earlier how, you kind of need to s- surround him with a few other co-creators at this point because uh, to feature him as your best offensive player, he's not going to like do all the work himself. And so the good news about Tatum and his scale, how he scales to that situation is uh, he's a good defender and we're about to get into his defense. Um, so as a result, you know, you can target small guards to pair with him. You can uh, bring in guys like Pritchard who may be limited defensively um, and, you know, he definitely widens your filter for acquiring co-creators. Uh, so that is one nice thing about him. Um, specifically, his off-ball defense kind of took a leap last year uh, around the same time his shot-making did. And uh, there was that article uh, where he just was working in Team USA. I think it was written by Jackie McMullen, who uh, – talked about how he just recommitted to defense. It was on ESPN, and it was one of my favorite reads. It was Popovich, um, right? Popovich told him you can be yeah. like a, a lockdown defender, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He locked down, you know, uh, scheme-altering, uh, disruptor off ball, and that's where he's been mostly utilized. Uh, they've had Marcus Smart and then Jalen Brown take a lot of the point-of-attack assignments, and uh, I think this is, uh, you know, 
if you listen to my other podcast, Sense and Scalability, we always, you know, could go on and on about off-ball defense and positioning and timing. And uh, a lot of it, you know, isn't really noticed over the course of a game. It's easier to, like, watch someone like Avery Bradley mirror a guard's move and be like, that's a good defender. But uh, Tatum really is kind of the antithesis of that and, in my opinion, a lot more valuable. I think he's arguably – I know it's a hot take. I think there's a case where he's the most important defender on this team. I know Marcus Smart, and I know how freaking incredible he is. He's nearly as good off-ball. And on-ball, he's obviously much better with with guards, um, even probably wings. But he doesn't give you – I mean, he's 6'3", 6'4". Tatum's 6'8", with a you know, 6'10", 6'11", wingspan. When he's your nail defender, when he's in passing lanes, when he's, your, when he's covering two guys on the weak side at once, you know, that's just – he's probably the – I don't know where you would rank him. It's tough. But I would say he's, he's cream of the crop elite off-ball defender. I, I don't know if you'd agree with that. Yeah. Okay, he's giving me the thumbs up. Yeah, I mean, his defense – and I think this year, I would say for the start of this year, I think his off-ball was a little worse. I think he was a little less into it. Recently, I think he's picked it up again. Same with his on-ball. I thought his on-ball was actually – the start of the year was pretty bad. Like, first steps, people are getting by him like that. Of late, I think his on-ball has improved a ton. I saw, like, in that Brooklyn game, three or four times where he stunted Harden's first a couple movements every time. There were a couple times Harden crossed him up pretty badly. But I think Tatum, I, th- I see him doing this new technique now defensively, same thing Marcus Smart does, where he keeps one arm into the guy, keeps the other arm. I'm doing motions here, and you guys can't see it. But he keeps his, his forearm pressed up against the guy to swipe at stuff, and his left arm, or his, uh, his off arm, is out. Is always out, you know, blocking vision, you know, and it keeps you, you know, moving laterally pretty quickly. I think he got that from Smart because that's something Smart always does. Um, Rather than Tatum, because I think in years prior, he would just sit there with both his arms out, which makes you bigger. You can't help get your hands in passing lanes, but it slows you down. You can't move as quick laterally that way. I've seen a noticeable lateral quickness improvement with his new, you know, mechanics, if you will, there. Um, but, yeah, his defense, he's I, – I saw someone say that Jalen Brown was a better defender, and I was just like, ah, what would you watch? The one game where he guarded AD? Because Jalen Brown, to me, is uh, this year defensively, I don't – I think he's been a neutral, best case. I, and I think Tatum's still firmly a positive, in my opinion. Uh, Jalen Brown's a good on-ball I – mean, this isn't a Jalen Brown thing, but the difference is – they're literally night and day difference between their style of defense. Yeah, Jalen Brown kind of feeds into what I talked about, where you watch a guy kind of mirror another good offensive player's movements, and you're like, that's a good defender. And Jalen Brown – is a great on-ball defender. You know, he allowed the Celtics to stay home on shooters against Siakam, who had a not very good at all playoff series against the Celtics. Um, he's, you know, but he's kind of more situationally useful, whereas Tatum, he's providing, you know, solid, but maybe not that quite level on-ball defense, but he's always going to have his imprints on the game just because no matter who he's guarding, he's affecting things. So I know we've alluded to it to a ton of times because um, I don't really – oh, I, there's one more th- offensive thing I'd actually – not offensive, but it is offensive. But one more – before we get into, like, the bigger, deeper questions here, um, let's talk about just his three-point shooting in general because um, I think you and I both agree that at this point 
I think we need high volume at 40% for him to be really good at all things considered of what he is now. Because I think if he's shooting, like what we saw during that cold stretch where he was, you know, once he came back from COVID, um, he was shooting the ball terribly and his efficiency numbers just plummeted. Uh, before that, he was killing it from deep and that's where his efficiency was pretty solid. Um, right now he's at shooting 7.1 per game at 37%. Last year, it was the same volume, 7.1 at 40%. I'd like to see that more around 40. And I think he's shown that he can be a 40% shooter throughout the year on high volume. I mean, he did it for that whole second half last year. But I, I don't see any room for growth as a shooter. And I have no problem with these sidestep threes at all. If you can hit, like, it is an unguardable shot. And if you can hit this at a... You know, what, what, what's the number? 35% of those? Yeah, 35. I think after the COVID stretch, his season off the dribble shot dipped down to 35. Um, I'm not so focused on the number per se. I just need the defense to respect it, right? His whole game is set up by being feared if he's left open from three off the dribble in transition, off, off catch and shoot, you name it. Um, that's what activates the rest of his game. Um, so that's why you kind of have to view all his skills in tandem. You know, he might not be the best at finishing or uh, floater range or handling, but like all of that is less of an issue just because he has this amazing off the dribble versatile shot. Uh, I kind of talked about it in my article, but like the speed at which he rises up to his apex is, I don't want to say it's like Kevin Durant level, but that's what we're kind of talking about you know in terms of outlier wings with that pull-up coordination um polar fall at polar fall i included a tweet from his in my article that like tatum's lats are just so huge and uh when you're he like called that, him you're... an upside down triangle one day and i lost my mind because it's accurate <laughs> it's so accurate. yeah his torso is an upside down triangle i don't know if you played like mlb slugfest or like nfl blitz back in the day but he looks like those character models with the giant shoulder pads and the skinny waist. Um, so he's going to get to that apex faster than the defense is going to contest it unless they're specifically expecting that shot and pre-contesting as a result. Um, so all of what we're talking about is set up by that off the dribble three. And so that needs to be, you know, like you said, around 35% to activate the rest of his game. And I, I because of those physical advantages and just how good of a shooter he is to begin with, I have confidence that that will stay the case. Yeah, I'm not concerned about the shooting slump he's having. Like, he's he's a great shooter. We know that it happens, small sample size. Um, but I do agree with you, actually. That he could hit 25% of these, and all that matters is the defense has to play it. If they play it the way they, they step up, if they trap, if they don't let him get that off, it opens up so much more for him, which are the areas he still needs to improve on. But uh, we just need the defenses. I don't say we like I'm like the coach, but – the defenses need to play him like that. Um, so I know, like I was going to talk about before, we talked about his shooting. Um, where do you see – I guess I'll just go right to you. Where do you see on a championship-level team, is he your go-to scorer? Is he your 1B scorer? Is he your best player? Is he your second-best player? What do you see? This is like the question for Tatum, right? Mm -hmm. um, because obviously if we put – if we had – if the Celtics had LeBron James, Tatum could be – you know, the overqualified second option and they could win a title, right? And that's the case for pretty much all of those, you know, top, let's say, 
10 to 20-ish players where it's like you don't you're not always sure if that's the leading scorer on a championship team but since there are 30 teams you have to kind of build around that and you work with what you got so the way I see it is Tatum can be uh if I if he makes these improvements that we're kind of anticipating and hoping about he can be you know the the main guy on the championship team but it's going to look a little different than say LeBron on the championship team where he's like undoubtedly the best offensive player right it's going to be a little bit more of an egalitarian offense the creation is going to come from other positions as well um so definitely more of like a 1a 1b situation than it is like a clear hierarchy with Tatum as the unquestioned guy that's kind of the way I saw it I don't think it's yeah I agree it's not going to be Tatum's your guy you know he's I don't know if he has that top three or five player in the league potential I think oh potential yes I know I don't see it I see more likely than not he doesn't reach that point there are 450 players in the league like if yeah. anyone takes that as a slight, then I don't know what to tell you. Like, he might not be in the 99th percentile of NBA players. Um, now. 98 and a half percentile. Yeah, 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 now we're talking. Now we're talking. <laughs> uh, no, I guess that was just kind of what I said. I don't – I think he's, he'd be on any team. I think he's going to be in crunch time, your go-to guy. Because um, he's probably – even though his ISO numbers aren't great, he's probably – you're probably not going to find a guy – you're not going to, you know, just finding a girl on the streets that will be a better late game, late shot clock, late game finisher than him. So his yeah, role. It's, it's, it's more that it's more that he can make those shots, but you want them to, you want that to not be their first pl- mode yeah. of attack. Yeah. Uh, you don't want them like, he's not going to be like, okay, just let Tatum ISO. It's going to be like, you know, run him off a screen or something, uh, let him get downhill. And if that doesn't work, he has that in his toolbox to ISO when things go South. Um, but not something you prefer to happen, per se. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I you mentioned in the article the a lot of the sets and motions the Celtics like to run for him to put him in positions to succeed. Like, like you uh, get him at the elbows, if you put yeah. him on a down screen, let him catch it at the elbows. That gives makes him dribble the ball less. Uh, it's going to lead to a more efficient shot because he can't catch it in that long mid shot. Um, <laughs> and even lets him if he wants to attempt that. Uh, that free throw line, that elbow jumper, if that defender's lagging behind on a dribble handoff at the elbow or down screen at the elbow, yeah. he can go right into that. It's also a good ref baiting spot. It just puts you in such easy positions to succeed relative to isoing or getting doubled on a pick and roll. It's just much easier. And I think his skill set is perfect for it. It also gives him easier reads too. Um, and I guess we can kind of talk about the teammates that would be perfect. Not, I mean, I, we don't have to reference players, but the stylistic, you know, the skills of players that would, you know, make life easier on Tatum and how you should build around him. So uh, I know you referenced a lot of that in your article. So you go ahead here. Yeah, the first person I I, I referenced, um, and Celtics fans were like, "Do you want us to bring Al Horford back?" And maybe from a long term perspective, that would get dicey since Al's like what thirty four. But that kind of big who can dribble, pass, and shoot would make our DHO game with Tatum so much more potent. Uh, we talked about how, like, you know, he can rise up off a DHO for a shot. He, it's easier for him to get find a driving lane than it is off pick and roll if he's, you know, able to build up ahead of steam off ball. But a lot of the times the dribble handoff guy next to him 
isn't being respected from 20 feet, right? Mm -hmm. Like Tristan Thompson isn't doing anything positive for the offense if he's standing near the arc. Um, Even Daniel Tice, like a lot of Daniel Tice, Daniel Tice is up to his three-point volume this year because he's the guy they're leaving open a lot of the time in these actions. Um, So as soon as you get that player who forces, you know, that rotation back out to the arc uh, or, you know, doesn't just concede that to – pack the paint on Tatum all of a sudden everything he does off that action which I really like a lot for him just becomes better right uh so he kind of is someone who really benefits from that five out spacing that Celtics haven't been able to give him this season yeah I agree with all that I think you said that Grant Williams is pro he's really the only guy they ever utilize in DHOs yeah, and then you have Rob Williams and his role gravity can kind of, uh, you know, maybe strike fear in the defense's heart and keep it away from Tatum. Um, it would be much easier it. if Rob Williams on those DHOs, he was good at faking it and going to the Yeah, ground. yeah. Like Bam Adebayo does very well. Um, exactly. He, yeah, but he's not great at attacking the rim with the ball, especially if he has to dribble it more than once. Um Grant is a guy who theoretically could be great in that spot. Um, he's dealing with a lot of like, – the only thing positive about him this year, I would say, is his catch and shoot. Is he shooting the ball well? But that's about it. Um, you I have liked his, me. like – no, it's okay. I mean, I just you saw that aggressive unmute to defend my boy Grant <laughs> Williams. But uh, I have kind of liked his, like, one dribble attack, closeout, and pass schemes. I do think that – a lot of times he's not directly involved in the action. And I, I say this a lot, actually, like if Grant Williams was on a team that used him more as like a, a pick and roll or a pick and pop guy, I think he'd be farther along in his offense. And I think that's kind of part of the Celtics dual timeline is they just have, they're trying to win now and they have players who are currently better than Grant Williams. So it doesn't always make sense to keep him heavily involved in the offense. And uh, a lot of times you wouldn't necessarily look at Grant Williams at Tennessee and be like, I want that guy standing in the corner. Uh, but that is what happens sometimes when you have so many uh, talented players on the Celtics already. Um, so, you know, I don't know what to expect necessarily for Grant down the line. Also, uh, you know, can he play center defensively? And if so, uh, you know, if, if not, then you need to maybe find another big to place next to him and Tatum and can that big shoot and if he can't that kind of muddies the spacing as well um so there are a lot of like scale questions about Grant Williams but if you can stomach playing him at the five uh, and he does work on that shoot dribble pass big archetype skill then that would be the answer I think another guy I want next to Tatum is another guy who can I'm trying to find the right word for it, but can take pressure off of Tatum scoring where he doesn't have to be the focal point of every option, every set, um, or even isolations, every pick and roll. You need another guy who can run that stuff and actually catch the defense's attention where they can't just throw everything they have at Tatum, um, which is easier said than done. It's not that easy to find those guys. We might have that guy in Jalen Brown. I'm still it was Kemba think. last year. Sorry exactly, I didn't to interrupt yeah. you. No, you're um, good. Um, it, I'm a little pessimistic on him, though. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing with Kemba is on oh, Jalen Brown is what I'm saying. Oh yeah, as being yeah. long term as that guy that can do that. I'll get to Jalen in a second, but I just have a quick Kemba point to make. 
Yeah. Um, one thing I've really observed a lot this season is so much of that facilitation was set up on him being a Tatum-esque threat off the dribble from three, right? He, he shot like 38% off the dribble from three last year. I think it gets lost. Like he was borderline historically good his last couple seasons at Charlotte and his first year as a Celtic off the dribble from three. And then he's a guy who, if the defense sags off him, he's going to jack it every time. He's wired to do that. So we're seeing these like four for 20 Kemba games and he's gotten, the shots kind of come back a little bit, but we're seeing a lot of Kemba games where he's taking up a lot of shots because he is not used to being left that open. And it's very hard to rewire your game to be like, he doesn't oh, maybe need to either. I want him to keep taking. Yeah, off. exactly. You want to shoot yourself back out of the slump. But you know, sometimes if people were wondering why he was kind of continuing to shoot when it didn't look like he was on that game, um, it's because the defense isn't respecting the shot. They're saying, all right, Kemba prove to us that you can make this shot. You know, they're not scrambling to help it. And then all of a sudden he's taken 20 shots that game. So, uh, if he can kind of continue to build back his reputation as a deadly off the dribble shooter, uh, we could see him as a different prong to the offense at an all-star level, uh, or at least close to it. Like he was last year Um, for Jalen. I still don't like he is, he is like the best possible wing you can be without me being confident as him in him as an advantage creator, right? He's an (laughs) all-star. He's an all-star player. He's, one of the best advantage attackers in the league. Once he gets like a step on his defender closing out, he can operate in tight spaces, converts these floaters and weird, you know, hop steps that you would not expect anybody to do. But I still don't see these plays where Jalen Brown is coming off the pick and roll, reading the weak side coverage and uh, making the quick, timely read. That just doesn't seem to be his game. Um, Or matter of fact, making – attacking reads like right. he attacks all the time when it's not there yeah kind of just runs into a wall and <laughs> turns it over and that's why his game lends itself so well to be a second side guy once the defense is kind of tilted away from him and he can really extract those advantages at a much higher level than the average player but guys you know assuming Kemba is kind of on the downturn which isn't surprising he's a small 31-year-old guard, not everyone's Chris Paul. What he's doing is, frankly, bananas. Um, Kyle Lowry, too. But uh, Kemba, I don't know what to expect, especially since his window doesn't line up with Tatum and Jalen. So I do think there is kind of a void for that long-term table setter who can buoy the offense and really enable Tatum to, uh, you know, kind of, uh, I'm going to use an Evan Zoucha term, explore the studio space as an off-ball threat as well as an on-ball threat. Yeah, well, the two notes I had for skill set of teammates around him, A, I want, like I said, the guy to take pressure off him who can attack offensively. And I want a guy who can set him up in easier positions to succeed. I want a good guy who keeps the offense string together. It's nearly impossible to find that within one player. So I think that – I think oftentimes you do find that in one player though, right? Because the guy who sets him up is often the guy who takes pressure often. Yeah, and that's, that's, that, that, that's why it's going to be so difficult to find this player. Yeah. And I think, I think the way they have it now, with if Kemba's hot, if Jalen Brown's doing his thing, I think what we're missing is that, is that like you said, that DHO, that, that big, that, you know, someone who can operate with him very well. And I think you do have a pretty solid skill set of teammates to 
maximize him as best as possible. But I think we're down that that DHO threat guy. And if Kemba's not hitting like he can be hitting, then we're down that guy as well. Um, I actually want to explore this question of like whether you can find a guy who sets him up but doesn't take the scoring pressure off. I guess the answer would Rubio? have to be like Rubio is exactly where my brain went. Um, you know, where it's like all of a sudden – you're looking at guys who have like outlier processing speed and require you to play like a certain egalitarian offense. And maybe that is the future for the Celtics. Maybe. Um, so Henry Ward was on a sense and scalability uh, podcast. And he talked about going away from pick and rolls, going away from dribble handoffs and just uh, having five out spacing, maybe one in the dunker spot and just not worrying about having elite advantage creation, but rather just moving the ball, read and react and, taking advantage of the angles that will naturally be there if you're moving the ball around a lot and uh, have a lot of spacing, kind of like Utah Jazz-esque, um, except you don't have Donovan Mitchell. Is that is that a shot at Donovan Mitchell? Well, I'm saying he is kind of an advantage creator in his oh, own right. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Whereas, like, I don't think the Celtics quite have, you know, a guy next to Tatum like that, Where, um, whereas, uh, you know, if they don't, maybe they have to explore those, like, Rubio-type uh, egalitarian table setters. Um, yeah. but, but if not like, you know, um, let's say they miss the playoffs and draft Cade Cunningham. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> let's say they, let's say they, uh, you know, find that second guy. He's probably going to be like Kemba, you know, he's kind of probably going to marry, uh, scoring, taking scoring pressure off Tatum and setting Tatum up for opportunities. Cause, um, that's usually the easiest kind of cleanest fit that doesn't require you to, um, have those components of an egalitarian spaced out quick re and react offense um, in which everyone has to do those things. Yeah. I guess, I guess the last thing I kind of want to bring up is let's talk about his ceiling as a player. What are the two or three, maybe biggest things you want to see from him over the next couple of years, the rest of this year and probably next year, what, where do you want to see the growth biggest growth? Um, it would have to be just like, and these are two of the toughest things to learn. So I think handle is one of the f- hardest things to develop. Um, just takes you look, years and years. Yeah, and years you look at like the best ball handlers, like you know Kyrie or whomever, or you know even a guy like De'Aaron Fox, who's like you know an A minus ball handler. They had they had that juice um, in college, right? They were bringing that in the high school. Uh, it's just and Evan can probably get into it more Evan Zaucha who wrote that feel piece, but it's very, it's something that's very hard to like uh, completely rewire your pattern recognition and, you know, proprioception and other words that make me sound smart um, for handling. But outside of that, uh, prob- I think, I, I think it's more realistic that he can add some floater touch. Um, you know, he's got such a soft touch from mid range from, from deep. He has those, uh, you know, kind of uh, awkward layups that go in sometimes. And we have seen games where he's just putting up stuff from floater range. Maybe it's just uh, he's worried about getting the ball ripped. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's it does not quite make sense to me that he's not better at hitting floaters. So maybe he will add that to his game. Um, a lot of guys kind of add that, game, add that shot later in their career. Uh, you know, Paul George wasn't always a floater maestro the way he is now. Um, so that would probably be step one for me. I'd agree. I would say I, I think the handle just leads to it all, man. I just think if he gets more comfortable there and it's, it's tighter, it's on a string, it just leads to him, like I said, getting to his spots so much easier. And you could see the, with the floaters he takes now, 
compared to the start of his career, he, it's clear the coaching staff, the training staff, his trainers, him himself knows that that's a shot. It's a there's a high value shot that he can get. He can get to a lot of the time, but not whenever, and it just puts him in awkward spots. But it's just the handles which is going to lead to it. It's going to lead to him getting to the rim in less awkward positions. It's going to lead to him getting these floaters off. It's it's so important, and it's such a the, tough skill to develop. I mean, I've been playing basketball my whole life and I still can't fucking dribble with my left hand. <laughs> Come on. It's so tough. Yeah. So I guess a question I had is, um, and we'll kind of get to this where, you know, where, where, where is he at? And I don't like ranking players too much in like a vacuum because I have no idea how to determine who's better. Honestly, they're all so good, but where is he at? Cause I remember in our preseason rankings, I had him like 16 and I had like Kyrie Irving, like 20th because yeah, Kyrie was now. just, yeah. Yeah. Kyrie was just kind of like, seemed like a little bit of a malcontent in Boston. And obviously we were biased against that. And then he didn't really cover himself in roses his first year as a net. Uh, and now you just watch them play the nets and you're like, of course, Kyrie's fucking better than Jason Tatum. So I guess that's just one example, but there's a few guys like that who have had really good years and where Tatum might've been knocking on the door for top 10. He's not quite there for, for me now, although he's not that far behind. Uh, is that kind of how you feel? Yeah. I think last year when we did those rankings, it was, it was our great time for him. They made it to the Eastern conference finals. There were probably a handful of guys behind him that should have been higher, but for some reason weren't like you said, Kyrie, um, and I think, like, if you had the season right now, Tatum last year was all NBA third team. He's not making it this year. I mean, you look at forward, you got Kawhi, you got LeBron, you got uh, Giannis is making it as a forward. You have uh, KD if he KD, plays enough games. KD if he plays enough games. There's a lot of guys there. And then there's a lot of forwards who are, you know, Zion. Um, yeah. there's, there's forwards there that are probably going to make it ahead of him, Paul George. Uh, so yeah, Paul think, George, yep. Yeah, so I – his general ranking, I mean, I guess late teens, early 20s, that's what I would guess. And that's uh, fine. And that's yeah, fine, Yeah, which is honestly. fine. He's 22 years old. I mean, he's yeah. still going to improve. Like, And I know this pod, we made it sound like like we hate him and we're low on him. We're not. Like, we recognize the potential he has, and we also recognize what he's good at, and we see ways that he can improve that aren't, like, drastic changes. Like, we're not asking – a guy who stands in the corner to start running pick and roll 20 times a game. You know what I mean? He had, he's hinted at a lot of these things that we can, that we want to see him improve at. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's been a long time since Boston had a young stud that we can, you know, develop and grow through. I mean, it's been since Paul Pierce, right? I mean, and I was, I'm damn, I'm way too young to know a young Paul Pierce. I barely caught veteran Celtic Paul Pierce. So, you know, there's reasons to be excited as a Celtics fan. That's for sure. Yeah, and he he has stretches where he looks like he's like a borderline top 10 player. Um, like before he tested positive for COVID, I was like, all right, Jason Tatum's knocking on that door. Yep. And, you know, that is kind of the nature of the beast when you're a player who's so dependent on those off-the-dribble shots. But I think he could average out to being a top 10 player. Um, top five player, maybe like for a month or so. Uh, that's really hard for me until we really see – uh, material changes in his dribble and all that stuff we talked about, but the stuff that's good is just going to get better, right? He's just going to get a little better at those um, foul drawing. He's going to get a little bit better at uh, passing, dissecting pick and roll coverage. 
he's, he's going to find his stroke again. I know he's kind of going through a shooting slump. So um, even if he doesn't, even if we, he doesn't necessarily address all these weaknesses we're talking about, uh, part of Tatum's ascension has just been, oh, I can get better at this thing I'm already good at. I can become a better off-the-dribble shooter. I can become a historic off-the-dribble shooter. Um, and so he, and what if he you does, have, that elevates yeah. him to... Yeah, exactly. And, and you, you still, if you look at all his flaws, you'll be like, well, is he that good? And it's like, yes, he is, because that, none of that stuff matters nearly as much if he's being a flamethrower off the dribble that forces the defense to scramble and he can pick apart those coverages. At this point in his career, he's a very, very high-ceiling player. Like, some nights he just unbelievable if those off the dribble threes aren't falling like there's been like three or four games this year where he shot like three for 20 you know if those aren't falling and the other things aren't you know the weaknesses of the other game he has to take more of those and it's not looking good he's in trouble but when those off the dribble shots are falling he's he's a top when they're falling he's a top five offensive player in the league top, you know <laughs> I mean, and also part of it is that he's a wing, right? So these are, uh, you know, things you would normally say when you're talking about a guard, such as yeah. like Steph Curry or Damian Lillard. And those guys obviously are farther along in their career and more experienced him and a little better. Mm-hmm. But when you have this wing guy who's like this potent off the dribble shooter, from a team building perspective, that's Nirvana because you can't put, you, you can't put another small guard next to, I mean, you can't. Portland has put CJ next to Dame, but, but the, it becomes a little tough defensively. Like yeah. if you put a guard next to Tatum like that, it's still, you can Fine. still be it. Yeah. You can still be a, a, you can still beat the piss out of people on defense. Cause you don't need that. You don't need the, the guy that does that. Who's yeah. 90% of the time a guard, you know, you have it at a power forward position. Basically you have it as a it's... six foot nine guy, but yeah. Uh, anything else Jason Tatum related you want to talk about? Um, so Cody uh, submitted a question, but I think we should ignore it just to, just to make it mad. Well, I, A, I think we – well, it was the only question we got. <laughs> Number two, it was a question that would have required a ton of research. Yeah. So, Cody – Do you want to read the question? Do you have it with you right now? I don't have it in front of me, but he basically <laughs> asked, anybody past the year 2000 – you're doing a 12-man draft. Anyone yeah. past the year 2000 cannot have made a – what a finals MVP or an all NBA. The thing is yeah. Tatum made all NBA. All Tatum made all NBA. So like, or, good I job, think he Cody. said first team. I think he said all NBA oh, okay. first team. <laughs> but that would have required so much. Sorry, see, Cody. I'll, I'll look after this pause. See, see, see. Well, if you ask questions, we'll be a lot nicer to you. Cody's our coworker. So it's almost like, um, you know, I work in the run specialty store to full circle. You know, if, if I, uh, get a shoe I don't like and I want to return it, they'll be like, tough, you work here, too bad. Mm-hmm. Just you, you have an employee discount. Um, what are you wanting about? So that's how we treat Cody. Yeah, uh, we love you, Cody. All right, <laughs> if Cody makes it this far. All right, in, All in right. the episode, I mean. All right, um, hey, everyone, thanks thanks for listening. Uh, means a ton. Give us a like and review on Apple Podcasts if you don't mind. Uh, check out premiumhoops.org. We have all of our other pods here. We have our main premium hoops pod. Mark, mainly Mark at this point because he works his ass off. Um, but he's putting out a bunch of ton of great content there. Sense and scalability also found in premium hoops. Check us out on Twitter at hoops underscore Nate and at Scott Levine MBA. I believe I got that right. You did. And, I, and I'm currently there. Um, also, if we get 100 ratings, I'll pull a, I'll pull a game for Paul Pierce. You, you, you shit your pants on, on pod? <laughs> Maybe. <Is> that... <laughs> I'm going to leave that up to, I'm going to leave that up to interpretation. hundred rating. Okay. All right. hundred ratings and you got it. Scott will uh, defecate in his pants here live on pod. 
All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.